0: Welcome this morning, good to see everyone here this morning, uh, here at New Life Church. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, and then we will also be in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 26. Last week we, or excuse me, two weeks ago we started a series uh, called Evaluate evaluate what well, we're discovering and looking at some of the core values we're not looking at all the core values but some of the core values of our church and how they play out and relate to us and how they can help shape and lead us uh and guide us forward and uh, last week we looked at one in particular called Kingdom Minded. We are a church that has a core value that we believe Christians should have a kingdom mindset, not a worldly mindset. And so we looked at that particularly in Ephesians 6, looking at learning how to stand strong in God's armor, in the armor of God that he provides for us. And so we looked at that last week. Today we're going to look at a, a, a value, really, it, it's a core value of ours that that's in our belief statement, but it's a value that really helps define our Christian faith, and we're looking at two ordinances, or it's what theologians call acts of worship, two acts of worship uh, that really help define our Christian faith, Uh, and they're water baptism and communion, and communion is one that we will actually come to today to close out our time of worship this morning, but um, these particular things, uh, water baptism and communion are something that should not be approached as a fulfillment of just satisfying the religion uh, checklist but really it's something that should be approached out of a relationship that a person has with christ and so we're going to look at that and how it really helps to define our life so let's look at our main text here today in matthew chapter 3 verse 5 it says people From Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. Verse 13. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Let's look at our second text which is in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 verse 20 says when it was evening Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples. Verse 26 and as they were eating Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, "Take this and eat it. For this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to drink from a wine cup, and we're going to sing a hymn, and then we're going to go out here to this wine... I'm just joking. Okay. Are you guys with me today? All right. Some of you probably got excited when I said that. (laughs) But let's pray over this message, over this word today. Lord God, your words are life, and they are life-giving. They're more than just printed pages compiled to create a book, but they contain so much more. But Lord, we need your spirit to shine your light on it, and we pray what Paul prayed, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can understand how that we can grow in you. Lord, we need you, and we need to hear from you today. Lord, fill our life in a greater way so that we can go and fill this world with your love. Holy Spirit, speak through me now and help us to get what we need to get each one for our own lives and our own households. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Baptism. Baptism was the first thing that Jesus did in front of anyone else. Public, in front of all people. Baptism. And he did that, I believe, to show us that it was a display, uh, a, a public display of us one day having jo- to join in our relationship with Christ. Communion, or the Last Supper. That was the last thing Jesus did with his twelve disciples. That was the last thing he did with his twelve disciples. It was intimate. It was an intimate display of to showcase, I believe, uh, our journey with Christ, our, our relationship as we move forward in Him. So baptism was the first thing public to showcase, hey, this is me joining my life with the Lord. Communion is an intimate display to showcase, hey... I am continuing in my journey with God, and I haven't forgotten what he has done for me. So we're going to look at that, how God uses baptism and how God uses communion, that it's more than just a religious thing to do or practice and to follow through with, but how God actually uses these two things, these two acts of worship, these two sacred acts of worship to help mark our life for him. So I've titled today's message in our Evaluate series, Mark My Life. Mark My Life. God marks our life with a lot of things and we're going to look primarily at four things out of these two particular uh, texts with water baptism and communion how God marks our life with Christ in four ways you ready the first thing is this God marks our life with a cause he marks our life with a cause Jesus was water baptized and his water baptism demonstrates several things first it's it demonstrates that it is meant uh, to be done publicly, as it was with his, that he shows us, hey, we need to go public in our faith and our belief in Jesus. And it was a public act of worship. Then he was fully immersed. The words baptized here in the New Testament come from a word that means to be fully immersed, to go fully in, go fully through, and to come fully out of the water. Now, here's the thing about that. Obviously, there's a lot of different practices of baptism, uh, some fully immersed, others sprinkled and other things. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, I believe, and we believe here, that as much as you can to be fully immersed in the baptismal waters for this reason. We're going to look a little more deeper here in just a moment about why that is, what that really means to be fully immersed in and through and coming out of the water. Now, I, I do believe there, there are some exceptions. I don't think it's, it, it, that, uh, that if there are physical restrictions that can prevent that. Now, in my lifetime, I've been able to baptize. I cannot really tell you how many. Over 500 people, I think, I've baptized in, in the last 20 couple years of, of ministry since being ordained. That's, that's a privilege, uh, a sacred privilege I've had to be able to baptize that many. I remember my baptism, uh, gosh, it was around the summer of 1991. It was in the Nazarene Church in West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, Brother Harold Matheny was the pastor. Uh, my folks remember that, and uh, I remember getting saved. I actually got saved at a Nazarene church at a youth event, and um, and so uh, I, I remember asking, "When can I get baptized? When 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 can I get baptized?" I, I didn't. I knew you were supposed to, but I wanted to. I actually wanted to, and so I talked with the pastor and made sure I understood what, what we were doing, and then on a particular Sunday, he arranged it, and, and, uh, and I, was, I was water baptized before the church. Uh, I, he was wearing a white robe. I don't remember what I wore, but I remember he was wearing a white robe, and uh, it was one of those tanks that set up in the, up high, right in the center of the sanctuary. Uh, we, we aren't privileged with that here at this location. You, we, have, we have a hot tub. Uh, can I get a hot tub? And uh, we have a hot tub that we use. Uh, the water's warm. That's a, that's a guarantee. That's always nice. It's not frigid and freezing. <laughs> it has been that before in other places. But uh, I remember attending my grandmother's baptism in the Mississippi River. And my grandfather, my mom, is telling me, yeah, I, I guess I was at that one too. Uh, but I, I it's, oh, it was both of them together, that's right, it was the same day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was the same day, same time, but it was, in the, it was in the Mississippi River. And I remember like everybody just caravanned out there. I mean, you name them, everybody, everybody, everybody was out there for those baptisms. It seemed like they baptized everybody and, uh, that day. But I remember that. Uh, it was, but the thing about immersion is I don't think we should get so caught up on the semantics of it as much as we should put our emphasis that it should be a public display of our worship before God. That God, Jesus went public and he said, I'm going public that I need you to understand that a commitment in faith in Christ should be a public awareness announcement, if you will. You should make a proclamation with your life that you're going in the water and you're coming out of the water, but you're not going out the same way you went in. You're coming out changed. You're coming out free, and you're coming out forgiven, and you're coming out washed. Amen? There's a lot of good old songs about going to the river and uh, uh, about being baptized. But that's really what I want us to understand here at our church, that yes, we believe in immersion, but at the same time, we get there are physical restrictions. Like I said, I baptized probably over 500 people. Several of those had physical limitations that prevented them from being able to get fully into the water. Do I think they were sincere? Absolutely. Do I think they meant it? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't want us to get caught up so much on that because when you go public and you, and you, and, you know, like Jesus went public with it, it was saying, hey, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I have surrendered my life fully to him and I have decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. I am not turning back. I just believe our world needs to see some Christians that have gone public in their faith, that we're not ashamed to live for him. We're not ashamed to proclaim him. We're not ashamed to admit, I have had my faults and I have my shortcomings, but in Christ Jesus, I am forgiven. And in Christ Jesus, I have the hope and the promise of freedom that I am not going to go back, but I am going to go forward. Amen. God says this, and he, 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 I love this there in verse 17. It says, A voice came from heaven and it said something. It said three things You are loved. When we become water baptized in Christ, God, if God brings assurance to our life that, hey, you are loved. It said that you are mine. The voice from heaven said, you belong to me. That's affirmation. When you get water baptized, God affirms us that not only are we loved, but we belong to him. We are now his child. But then he also said, you please me. You bring me great joy. You bring me great joy. That's acceptance. Before Jesus could do anything in the physical with his life, before he performed a miracle, before he touched anybody's life, before he uttered the words, the kingdom of heaven is coming, God the Father said, you please me. So it lets us know that our acceptance in Christ is not based on our merit. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on what you and I can do. It's based on his love and his affirmation for our life, and that if we accept him, guess what? He accepts us. Isn't that good news? That's called grace. That's called grace, an unmerited favor that God gives to his people. So God marks our life through the cause. Here's another thing he marks our life through. He marks our life through a command. He marks our life through a command. Not only did Jesus get baptized, but Jesus said to be baptized. He talked about this after his resurrection, before his ascension to heaven, in Matthew 28, or excuse me, yeah, Matthew, uh, yeah, am I getting that right? Matthew 28, that's right, Matthew 28, and in Mark chapter 16, uh, the Great Commission, Max taught on this uh, two weeks ago to open up this series, and uh, talked about, Jesus said, go out to all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Mark reiterates similar wording as well. Then the New Testament church practices this. On the first day that the church began, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches, the Holy Spirit comes forth, poured out on the earth, and 3,000 people become born again. It said all 3,000 of those believers got water baptized. They were baptized. You jump over to Acts chapter 8. Philip is going to preach as an evangelist, and the word of God is spreading. He goes to Samaria and preaches, and they believe his message about Jesus, and it said many men and women were baptized. Jump over another chapter to Acts chapter 9. Saul converts to Paul, the apostle Paul. Saul converts, and it said that he spent some time and that he was baptized. It was a, Not only it was the command of Christ, but then it was the practice of the New Testament church and should be the practice of the New Testament church. There's one particular exception that comes to my mind about answering the question, do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? Is There's one story in Luke 23 where there are two thieves hanging on the cross, one on the left and one on the right of Christ Jesus. One is ridiculing and mocking and blaspheming the Son of God. The other is like, something's not right. He didn't do anything. And he speaks the words. He says, Jesus, will you remember me when you go into the kingdom? And Jesus said, let me assure you of one thing. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The man was literally on his deathbed. He had no more days to live out on the earth. Obviously, he was going to die on the cross could not be baptized. Where did he go? Heaven. We'll see him one day. Heaven with Jesus. I believe that's an exception. As much as the question says, do I have to be, I think the better question should be, when can I get baptized? When can I go public with my faith in Jesus Christ? I think that would be the more appropriate, honest, heartfelt question that any real believer should ask and the and the answer would be as soon as you can as soon as you can as soon as you can give witness give witness give an outward witness of worship that jesus came in to your life and changed everything about you god marks our life with a cause with a command and then thirdly he marks our life with the continuation he marks our life continually, continually. Jesus provides the way for this, that when we, become, when we get saved and we become water baptized, Romans 6 really goes into this, and I'm not going to go into it today in the detail that it does, but I'd encourage you to read Romans chapter 6. But it talks about how we identify our life with Christ in His death, burial, and His resurrection. Aren't you glad it doesn't stop after burial? Death, burial, that's the end of it. No, thank God there is a resurrection. Thank God that he resurrected. Thank God he rose from the grave. Thank God he did what he did, that death couldn't keep him, the grave couldn't hold him, and sin couldn't lick him. No, the cross couldn't even contain him. No, because the power of the resurrection, and and God says the power of Christ, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives on the inside of you if you're born again. That same spirit that literally raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives on inside of every born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And when we become water baptized, we identify ourselves with Christ in his death. We go into the water grave, so to speak. We go into the baptismal waters as a sign that I am dead to myself, that my sins have been They have been nailed to the cross. And then you go down into the water as a sign of burial, identifying your life in the burial of Christ. Then you come out of the water and walk out as a sign of resurrection, identifying with the resurrection of Christ. Aren't you glad we get to identify with Christ on all three levels? The death, the burial but also the resurrection. Meaning 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old has literally passed away. When it says it is gone, it has passed away, meaning it is dead. That old life is dead. It's been buried in Christ. Behold, all things have become new and you are resurrected. You identify in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think a great great story that we could all relate to that I think really helps us out in understanding this further is a story of the children of Israel when they were leaving Egypt in Exodus 14 they had they had gained permission from Pharaoh to leave with Moses and they were marching through the wilderness headed towards the promised land this is a type and shadow story of of what I believe a new testament believer is doing leaving the old leaving a life of sin and darkness and, and, and bondage to the things of this world and leaving the world system, choosing to move forward in Christ, headed towards the promised land, our heaven, one day. And I think this, this story just gives this type and shadow. So you've got Egypt behind, you've got the promised land ahead, but there's one thing that stands in front of them, and that is the Red Sea. The Red Sea. And the story goes that God told Moses, lift your staff And he did, and the waters of the Red Sea parted, and all of the children of Israel walked on dry ground through the Red Sea until they got to the other side. Now, as they were doing that, here's the story. You've got Egypt pressing down, bearing down on them. Pharaoh sends all of his army and his chariots and all of his fighters to get them, and he's pursuing them. And they go and they're marching through the dry ground of the Red Sea, and they get to the other side. And as they were walking through, Pharaoh's army comes after them, goes down into the sea on dry ground. As soon as the children of Israel get to the other side, God closes up that dry ground with the sea again, and it washes out Egypt's army, washes them out, drowns them out. So here's the story, here's the significance, here's the implication. God uses water to divide our past from our future. That when you get baptized in water, God is dividing your past from your future. Because here's what happens. Our past will try to pursue us. Our past will knock on our door all the time. It likes to knock. Sometimes it's loud and sometimes it's soft. Sometimes it's subtle, but it, 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 it knocks. Our, our past knocks, and it tries to pursue us, and it tries, it tries to capture us again. Pharaoh sent Egypt, the past, towards, towards God's people, trying to pursue them, trying to capture them again. what they do? They just kept going through the water. Our past will try to paralyze us. Your past will try to, if it can't, if it can't catch you, It'll try to scare you and paralyze you. It'll try to get you to believe, man, maybe it was better back then. Maybe I should just go back there because that's what Israel was guilty of a lot. They had told Moses, Well, man, we had it made in in Egypt. We had food to eat, we had a job to work. It might have been hard, it might have been difficult. We wasn't our own place, didn't have our own thing, but at least we had something. And that's what the enemy tries to get us to believe, that something in our past is better than what God has in our future. And for some people, that is really, really, really hard to get a hold of. Because they have bought into the deception of the enemy that the past is better than what God has in front of you. Why? Because there is this war, there is this battle, there is this struggle that's happening at that moment. I want to go forward, but yet I'm being pulled back. I want to go ahead with God, but yet, oh, something in the back looks so enticing. And And our past tries to paralyze us, to get us to turn back. And if you can't do that, our past will follow us into the water. But here's the good news though our past follows us into the water, our past will not follow us out of the water. Egypt came in, but Egypt did not get out. Egypt went into the water, but Egypt did not come out on the other side. So here's the story. Picture picture yourself being water baptized by faith in Christ Jesus. You go into the water, you go down through the water, you come up, and then you go out of the water. Your past walked in with you, but your past does not follow you. Who you were, what you used to be, how everything used to be for you stays buried because Christ has risen and he causes you to rise and when you come out of the water, you are literally a brand new person in Christ Jesus. Your past follows you in. But your past does not follow you out. So, as we were singing this morning, and the worship uh, team was encouraging us to proclaim some things, we have to do that from time to time. we got to remind ourselves, past, you are dead. Old you, quit sticking your head up. Old person of you who used to serve and used to live however you wanted to. No, not anymore. I'm born again. Jesus, help me keep my salvation in this situation today. I will not lose it. I will not lose it. I will not lose it. No, there's some choice words I have to say to that person. But, oh, God, Holy Spirit, help me. I will not go that way because that's the old me. That's my old nature. And, friends, we have to remind ourselves that we're saved. Sometimes we have to just remind ourselves, no, I am saved. Man, I am better than what this has to offer me today. No, what Christ has for me, no, it's better. I'm not going back. I'm not buying the lie. I'm not going to stand here and wonder. No, I'm going to go forward because I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. So our past, yo, know, our past tries to fight, will follow us in but it will not follow us out. So that's the picture we need to have when, when, uh, when we look at baptism, When maybe looking at your previous baptism when you were baptized once before. Maybe you got this, you understand this, but there are some people that we need to teach and understand the power of water baptism and how God marks our life with it continually. Jesus provides this freedom. Jesus provides this forgiveness. Jesus, in Christ Jesus, he paid the price. And so when we become saved and we get water baptized, we take on a whole new life. Take on a whole new life. Where that we have the power to be free from our sin. And when Christ forgives us from our sin, that we no longer carry it. We go in, we go through, and we come out of the water changed. Changed. Sunday, May 5th, Sunday, May 5th, we're going to have our baptism Sunday, Sunday, May the 5th, so mark that down, May the 5th, and here's some thoughts I want to lead you through on that, some questions, I've been, maybe you think, I've been water baptized before, but I have a greater understanding of what it means now, should I get baptized again, just having a short conversation, I would say yes, If you really believe the Lord is compelling you to do so. Is it required? Absolutely not. Is your salvation guaranteed in Christ? Yes. I would say yes if the Lord is compelling you because you have a greater understanding and appreciation for it. Here's another thought. I was baptized when I was young, but I haven't really lived for the Lord in a while until recently. Should I get water baptized? Yes. You have Recently come around to the revelation of God's love for your life, and you have repented of your sins, and you have taken on Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you, you understand that relationship. What God is doing, he's given you a second chance, and he's breathing new life into you. Yes, get water baptized. Here's another one. I've never been baptized before. Should I? The answer is yes, Absolutely. God marks our life with the cause of Jesus' baptism. God marks our life with the command of Jesus' baptism. God marks our life continually because Jesus provides freedom and forgiveness as we trust him and practice that sacred act of worship called water baptism. Fourthly, last thing. God marks our life through the communion table. God marks our life through the communion table. It's a reminder. It's Jesus' reminder to his believers, to his followers on the journey. It's a reminder. Every now and again, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. Where we're headed is right. The direction we're going is good. The pace that we're going in is set. And we need to be reminded of some things. So here's the thing. Baptism was the first thing Jesus did publicly in front of others. Communion was was the last thing Jesus did in an intimate setting with his 12 followers, with his 12 disciples. It was intimate, and it was personal. He said he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. He broke the bread and he to say this, I am breaking myself for you. And he gave the bread, saying, I'm giving myself to you. I'm not holding myself back. I'm giving myself to you and he told them take this bread eat it because it's my body and as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me send to take the bread to say hey you accept what i have to offer you eat the bread to say that you want me to fill your life the world is going to compete your fleshly desires are going to compete There are things that are going to compete to fill your life for satisfaction. But I'm offering myself to you. Take me. Let me fill you. Let me satisfy you. Because this bread represents my body that is broken for you. And when we eat the bread, here's what we're saying. Lord God, I still accept you. Jesus, I still love you. And Jesus, I want you. To fill my life continually, how many of you? you don't have to, it's not a show of hands, but internally, how many of us often feel dissatisfied spiritually? Sometimes, don't show your hand. Just think about it. Oftentimes, we can get spiritually fatigued, spiritually drained. Max encouraged us at the beginning. He said, "There's some weeks, man, we've, we 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 go up against the enemy and, and we win." And it shows, and we have such high faith. And there's some other days where, man, we couldn't hardly feel like we should even get out of bed. I should not even try to approach this day today because I feel like a loser already. Like it's already set up against me. And there, I, there, that, that's, the, that's the life we live in, folks, because the enemy is real. We talked about this last week. And the enemy doesn't play fair. He cheats, and he lies. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he'll do anything he can to make that happen, to get us busy and to get us believing the wrong things and to get us off track with what God has for our life. And so Jesus gave us the table to remind us on our journey. As we eat this bread, it's his body broken for us, and as we eat it, we're saying, I acknowledge you, I want you, And I need you to fill my life. Then he took the cup. He blessed it and he gave it to them. And he said to drink this. And as often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. He gave it to them saying, hey, I am offering redemption for you. Drink it. In other words, I want you to taste what redemption tastes like. I want you to be satisfied that I am redeeming your life. Folks, let's just get honest. If we could redeem ourselves. Wouldn't we have already done that? If we, could all, if we could redeem ourselves, we would do it, right? We can't. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need a Redeemer, the cup of redemption. Jesus is saying, I want you to taste redemption because this cup confirms my new covenant with my people, meaning this. There's no longer because the practice was they would always have to sacrifice animals, get their blood, and sprinkle it on the altar as a sign of atonement and Jesus is saying look this cup affirms my new covenant with my people that there will no longer ever be another sacrifice for atonement I am that atonement I am that sacrifice there is no other way to God the Father except through the Son Jesus Christ so there are no other ways to God, there is only one way to heaven, there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. I am the door, he said. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no other way, so we, he, he's making it plain right here with his disciples. Obviously, that's going to come into into it's going to come up sometime in this world, and he's reminding his disciples and reminds us, "I am that atonement, you can't make that atonement. There's not enough blood you could shed, there's not enough sacrifice you can make. You need to just believe and put your trust in me. I am that atonement." And when every time we drink from the cup, it says this, "I still need your redemption in my life. I cannot save myself." I still need your redemption in my life. I still need your forgiveness in my life, oh God. And I acknowledge that you are still my Savior. So that, in essence, when we eat the bread and we take of the cup, we're proclaiming with our life that we still need Christ. We accept Christ. We still love Jesus. We still acknowledge to him, I can't do it. I need you to do it in me. I think a great example, a great story, and I'll end with this story. If, Megan, you can come and play. I'll end with this story. It's in, the New, it's in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 9. I think it's a story that really illustrates the significance of the table. David had become king and was established as a king, and he asked He said, is there anyone left from the house of Saul, the former king, that I could show covenant faithfulness to, my loving kindness to? Because you have to understand, kings, new kings that took over had the right to take out all the old kings and their families, annihilate them. So they would no longer be a threat to the new dynasty. But David, instead of annihilating people... what he did he redeemed the past david said is there anyone left from the house of saul because you some of you if you know the story saul treated david horribly horribly awful but david excuse me saul had a son named jonathan and jonathan and david were like best friends they were like best friends jonathan should have been the next heir But instead, God chose a new king and went the route of David. David was picked to be the next heir of the throne, not related, not even in the bloodline of Saul. And so David had become king. He says, is there anyone else left from the house of Saul that I can show my covenant faithfulness to, my loving kindness to? And someone spoke up and said, well, there there is one that's Jonathan's son, and his name is Mephibosheth, but he's lame in his feet. His caretaker, when he was younger, dropped him. Trying to run in a frantic state of mind. And dropped him and he became lame in his feet. Could not walk. And David said, well, where is he? And they said, well, he lives in a place called Lodabar. David was like, well, go get him. Please go get him and bring him here to my palace. Lodabar is a place that was known for being dry, barren, pastureless, no life, dead. So when the servant got to Mephibosheth's house, they found him hidden under a table. He was scared, hiding under the table. And they said, the king wants you. As you can imagine, they understand the practice and the protocol of how this works. He's thinking, he's going to be off with my head. So they bring him to David, and they bring him to the palace. And there he is, sitting before the king. And David said, Mephibosheth, from Lodabar, I'm going to change your life. You're no longer going to live in a dry, barren, pastureless place that has no life. You're no longer going to eat the crumbs from tables. Mephibosheth, I'm going to grant you a seat at my table continually. Because you see, your your dad was my best friend. He treated me with kindness. I want to do the same. And in fact, I'm going to restore land to you. I'm going to give you a lot of land, a lot of property that belongs to you. So you're going to own property and at my table you will always have a place to eat. Mephibosheth, lame, helpless, could do nothing to to get to this state, to get to this place. He had nothing to offer. David forgave the past of how Miss grandfather treated him wiped out the past, restored property and created a place for him at his own table in the palace and he said continually you will have a place here at my table what does that tell us? Christ wipes away our past we could do nothing yet when we were still sinners Christ died for us. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to give. Even on our best day, pales in comparison. We have nothing. What does Christ do? I'm creating a place for you at my table continually. And what does that tell us? What did David tell Mephibosheth? What did that place at that table tell him? It communicated to him that David, the king, you have changed my life. You have changed my life. What does that tell us today when Christ tells us we have a seat at his table to eat of his body and to drink of the cup of his blood? What does that mean for us to have a a seat at the table continually? Jesus, you have changed my life. Some of us need to remember, we sang a little bit of a song this morning, Take Me Back, Take Me Back. We need to remember, we need to pray for God to restore that first love in us again. Because in this fast-paced, nasty world, we forget we were once lost. We were once helpless. We couldn't offer God anything. And Christ in his mercy said, is there anybody that I can offer my loving kindness to? And he looks down upon us today and he calls our name. I'm so glad he called my name back in the summer of 1991. And he provided a way for me to come to him. And ever since, he said, I have a seat for you at my table. It reminds us, Jesus, you have changed my life. Think about what your life was like before Christ. Think about what your life has been since Christ. Doesn't mean we're perfect and have it all together all the time. But it does mean we have a perfect Savior who loves imperfect people. And he's created a perfect promise land. And he marks our life. Every time we take this bread and we eat it. Every time we take this cup and drink it. It reminds us, you have changed my life. You have changed my life. Life gets heavy, hectic, crazy, chaos. Which is why Jesus told his disciples, and that goes through time to us today. You got to always make time to come to this table. Because we forget. We can forget sometimes the sacrifice, the bloody, broken sacrifice Jesus became. For us, we get caught up in making money. We get caught up in trying to be happy. We get caught up trying to pay for this and pay for that and purchase this and live here and go here and do this and have this. All because we're supposed to have it. No, we need to remember because we forget, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's why we have to come. Often to the table because it marks our life with a reminder we still need a savior we still need a savior and his name is jesus